0: Welcome to Fresh Takes on the Future of Work. We are focused on fresh perspectives from business and HR leaders about the future of work. Fresh is an acronym for freedom, resourcefulness, empathy, simplicity, and happiness, values core to operating in the future of work. We'll tie back to these while exploring interesting stories and actionable ideas. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jess Pogoni. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Luna, a technology for the modern employer, enabling flexibility and choice to meet employees where they are today and in the future. Bottom line, we create alignment between work and life to attract, engage, and retain top talent in today's competitive market. Our guest today is Mark Mark is the Chief Executive Officer at TXI, a product innovation company. With over 20 years in the market, he has created more than 100 mobile apps, custom-built web applications, and intuitive user experiences for clients like the Field Museum in Chicago, Roger Ebert, AccuWeather, and Tyson Foods. He has been quoted by the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and Fast Company, and has a global presentation of the day of the Pichacucha platform. Two areas that Mark has an interest in sharing and really bringing into the world are getting his ideas around employee experience out into the community. Examples of this are his sticky note exercise and the inclusion meeting cards, which we'll hopefully hear more about. He's also really passionate about fostering inclusion across the industry between companies. So uh, examples of this would be what he calls the Kermit Collective and Walk Shop. Really looking forward to diving more into some of these innovative side or spin-out businesses that Mark has created as a result of his experience in product development. Mark, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thanks so much. I cannot wait to dig into this stuff.
0: Awesome. So, Mark, before we jump into our questions, my interview questions for you, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and your work overall?
1: Sure. So I'm the CEO of TXI, which is a product innovation company. That's a fancy way of saying we help our clients think through ideas that will be valuable for their business to unlock some new opportunities and then have the design and engineering teams bring those ideas to life so they don't just end up in a deck somewhere. So I think that's partially helped them to build the right thing, finding new opportunities, finding new ways of engaging and creating really good experiences for their customers, and then moving beyond that to help them build the thing right, a stable platform that will scale with their business and grow over time. Because of the work that we do that is, I think, very experimental, very innovative, we typically focus very heavily on the employee experience to bring those same kind of innovative and experimental practices to our own company to be able to attract and retain the best talent we can. Um, So a lot of the focus we have is perfect for this podcast as we think about what is the future of work and how do you really provide an engaging employee experience. I'm a big believer that you can really improve your CX or your customer experience by focusing on your EX or employee experience.
0: I love it. I talk a lot about people-first companies, and it sounds like TXI is very much a people-first organization and that EX being really at the core of what drives your success.
1: Uh, we talk about, the acronym stands for the technology, experience, and innovation, the three things we think about a lot. And I would say all three of those things also apply to your internal company. The technology you use to drive things, the experiences you create, for your employees and the innovation you can bring to both. So there are a lot of new ideas. I think we try to engage in that way here.
0: Makes so much sense. So tell us a little bit more. Okay, we've got the sticky note game. We've got the inclusion meeting card game. Tell us more about those. They have their own URLs, right? Like these are open opportunities for people to check out.
1: It's interesting that a lot of things people come to us and ask us about are the ways that we foster our culture and the ways that we grow and develop people. The sticky note game started off as an onboarding technique, because we saw that our onboarding was a lot of what people typically do. And we didn't see it as being as good as it could be. So we created a new process that we got really good at, started writing about, but then we just started rolling out across the business beyond just the new hire experience. And the more we talked about it, the more other companies were asking us how that process worked and could they adopt it. So We wrote up a site that explains how the sticky note game process works. It's now being used by about 100 other companies. I think GitHub is even rolling it out this year. So it's interesting to see how this could be deployed. But it's a great example of how do you think about a good employee experience? Onboarding is done so poorly by so many organizations. It was something we really wanted to think more about how to holistically create a better experience for that. So that's where the sticky note game process comes from.
0: Very cool. And what about this inclusion meeting card game? What is that?
1: That started off as we were having a conversation with our clients. And it was one particular one, we were trying to figure out the right way to get the good ideas on the table. And as we started talking to this one client who was always just, just um, it's like drinking from a fire hose, there were so many ideas, we're like, how do we possibly facilitate this person? We started thinking more generically around, what are the common anti patterns that prevent good ideas from being heard? And as our company was focusing more on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we thought a lot about how do you make sure the best ideas, not necessarily the most executive ones, are the ones that are getting the light of day. And so we were talking about how can you facilitate group dynamics that the best ideas are the ones being surfaced and that everyone has a voice. Um, we started taking those ideas, facilitation techniques, and creating a game around it, which behest of a few people who are close to the company recommended we actually package it up and put it on Kickstarter which we did just to see what would happen. And sure enough, it got backed within a few weeks and we found ourselves becoming the creation of a, we're a game company. So we build digital products and we also have this very analog experience that we think about, how do you make sure the right kind of discussions are happening, the right meetings are happening? Because a bad culture will kill a good idea or a good person every time. In our line of work, we really want to help our clients think of the best ideas they can to drive their products and their business forward. So how you show up in meetings is really important. So yeah, we created an actual card game, which then got backed and then got played by hundreds of other companies. So the inclusion meeting cards are some of our best techniques of either things to do or frankly, anti-patterns to avoid when trying to get the best from your team.
0: I can't wait to check it out. It's so retro, but retro is sort of cool again, right? So we've got to, you know, embrace the good old old old-fashioned card game.
1: And during pandemic, it became a series of Zoom backgrounds and things people could do. Nothing if not experimental. There's something we found that that kind of feedback, when you're critiquing someone's interpersonal communication style, one of two things happens. Either one, it's super awkward to like tell someone the way they're showing up is preventing, you know, other people from engaging, so people say nothing, or they'll blast someone like six months later in a personal review of, you know, you're always interrupting people or you're always so negative or shouting down ideas and when you do it so much later, the person has no context about how their unconscious bias is showing up. They have no context for how they're engaging interpersonally that prevents good discussion. If you do something in the moment, especially with a game-type dynamic where there's a little bit of playful activity there, people really start learning about their communication style patterns or anti-patterns that might prevent you know, other good ideas from being surfaced. And so we found that structuring it as a game made it a lot more approachable. That's
0: great. So we'll transition shortly, but I need to hear about the Kermit Collective, mostly because I need to know why it's called the Kermit Collective, I think, that I need the name and walk shop. So you've got two other side, I don't know whether to call them businesses or not, but tell us about these.
1: So in 2014, TXI had, there's a metric in our business called client concentration risk or CCR. Basically, it's a measurement of how many eggs do you have in one basket. Imagine a world where you had one really big client, like 70% of your revenue was with, I don't know, Carnival Cruise Line, and then 2020 happens and all travel shuts down. And the consulting practice, anything north of 20% is a really big risk. You don't want to have all of your revenue, all of your relationships in one area. In 2012, we had one really large account. that was about 50% of our revenue, so very, very large. And it was not a great relationship. And we were thinking about how we could be this company with strong values around work-life balance and employee development and learning new skills. But we had this one really difficult toxic account where you could never roll off and you always had to work nights and weekends and you had to use outdated technology that we could never invest in. It didn't work. And we had to find a way to either evolve that or walk away from that account. We ended up deciding it was best that we just, we needed to walk away and get a fresh start. And when we did that, we had a commitment to our culture to not let anyone go, but rebuild half of the business. What we realized is that we had no idea how to do that when there was that much of a gap in our revenue. So we really started reaching out to other companies that we could benefit from and say, how do you organize and how do you operate? Could we share ideas with each other? The Kermit Collective started from that place of us teaching other companies what we were really good at, as well as getting insights from virtual, like literally direct competitors around how they operate, how we could teach them and how they could teach us. This is something that it's like the exact opposite of Vistage, where you have a peer group of specifically non-competitors. We wanted straight competitors, people who knew exactly what we talk about around design, development, utilization, consulting. Um, and so we brought that group together of about 30 or 40 of the best companies that do what we do around the world to talk about how they operate and how they create really good employee you know, engagement experiences. And we called it Kermit Collective because we thought about, as we got this group together, we've been doing this now for seven years with these organizations from around the world who fly in together and talk shop. Each of us believe in this idea of cooperation, that there is value in cooperating with one's direct competitors. There's value in seeing each other as worthy rivals and not being all you know, gloves up against one's competitors, but really leaning into the idea of sharing insights, ideas, and innovations back and forth. And when we were working with a group to like, give this concept a name... As a joke, someone said, "Give me like a, a fictional character or a person that would attend this." And unprompted, two people said, "Oh, the ideal personality is Kermit the Frog." And the person who was helping to go through the branding, the naming of this group, couldn't stop laughing. Like, wh- why? Where is that coming from? And we're like, "Well, think the Kermit is doing you know the best he can to organize a group of chickens and pigs and Muppets to the, putting on the best show he can while frantically freaking out while trying to do that." And it felt like the role of the CEO sometimes. And it's like this self-deprecating, trying to put on the best show you possibly can while organizing these incredibly talented, diverse set of people. And so we joke like, yeah, that's pretty on brand, actually. That's the person we want attending this kind of collective is the person who's responsible for building the loyalty of that group and putting on the best show possible. So that's where we called it that. And it's been working that, that group of 30 or 40 companies who all are direct competitors has been meeting now for eight years and co- connecting and collaborating across company lines.
0: Incredible. So, walkshop is the last one. Let's hear about this hiking and design thinking experience, and then we'll we'll head into podcast questions.
1: This was for me the gift that I needed to evolve my own career. You know, we think about the future of work. A big part of it for me has always been getting insights from outside my own bubble. That's where you know Kermit Collective came from. Is ideas from other companies at a time when we needed it the most. When I got the opportunity to become a CEO for the first time it was not a decision I wanted to make lightly. I was already a father of two. I was already on a few philanthropic boards. I didn't know how best to become a CEO and handle the stress of that role and the work-life balance. I really wanted to learn from some others. And so we brought together a group of people to take a big step back, in this case, about 40,000 steps a day. We said, we're going to go for a long walk. We found a hiking trail in Scotland, in the middle of nowhere, where there was going to be the exact opposite of what pandemic life has turned out to be. So no Zoom, no Slack, no email, just humans out in nature going for a long hike. And when the trail was wide, we'd have a group level conversation. If the trail got narrow, it would be more one-on-one. And we were talking about this role and, and how to do well in what we were trying to each achieve professionally. And we had a service, Carry Our Bags. You could literally go for a walk You'd end up at a bed and breakfast seven hours later, and all your bags have been delivered for you. You'd get up and do it again. You literally just walk through. Uh, so rather than calling it a workshop, we called it a walk shop because you're walking the entire time.
0: And at the same time, I, I, like, I think talk shop, walk shop. So like, you're talking shop at the same time as you're walking. So I, the name is very clever.
1: The level of dialogue, I mean, that first day, you're all unpacking things about each other. But by the second day, when you're out and you're really digging into topics, you really get to know each other rather well. People have gone into business together after going through workshops. People have founded new relationships and you know good connections in the industry between executives. It's just a gift of time when I was not a father of two. I was not dad in that moment. I was not CEO in that moment. I was just on my own being challenged by some of the brightest people I've ever met to think about my career, my next steps, what I wanted to tackle. And it's become so popular. We, you know, we started doing it initially in Scotland and then in Germany and then in Italy. And every time it came back, People would post their experience about being on foot for five days and it's just such a unique analog experience for most of us who are
0: in front of Twitter and
1: Slack all day that every year just kind of kept building. And so I am the genius that started a travel business in 2020. That worked <laughs> brilliantly. Um, but I think hopefully now when things are starting to hopefully calm down, people have really recognized the value of connecting with humans in nature or away from Zoom with just dedicated time to think with really other dedicated leaders. So I'm hoping it'll, it'll come back.
0: Awesome. So, Mark, let's transition to the questions at hand. I feel like you're going to have some incredible responses for us. So are you ready to dive in?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Okay. My first question for you is, Mark, how do you define the future of work?
1: I think for me, the future of work is intentional, flexible then a personal focus on the employee experience. And I know this could be a debate. I know people say customer-centric, customer first, maybe owner-centric, you know, profit first. I firmly believe that if you want to have the best customer experience possible, if you want to drive the highest profit and resilience possible, that you really need to overindex on the employee experience. And I say, looking at those three things, intentional, because... I think you want to develop processes that support each individual where they are and what they need, and being very intentional with each person around their growth, their support, and their career. Flexible in that not every human is made the same way. What each of us need is slightly different. And coming up with flexible structures that work well, that will affect a lot of your review processes, promotion logic, how you structure and support people, and personal. that I think if you get that really personalized experience and people feel like someone at work cares about them, and they in turn care about others, that personal relationship that they have to both the company and to each other, that drives a higher level of loyalty and engagement that especially during the great you know, resignation that's happening, those companies that are intentional, flexible, and personal will outperform. And so I think the future of work is those companies who really take that employee experience is a core, very dedicated focus. They think about it a lot, they iterate on a lot, and they think about how to make that work intentional and flexible and personal.
0: Extremely well said. I happen to agree with all of what you just shared. And now I'm curious, so if if I were to present you with a magic wand today, what is one thing that you would want to change right now about work life?
1: I think the thing we've been thinking about is the need or I think maybe the predisposition towards physical space, dedicated physical space rather to be the thing that provides a connection and the bonding opportunities for people. When you have a dedicated office, I think that limits the ability for people to be flexible and personal if they want to live not in the same place or they want to be able to travel or not work from the office. At the same time, if you have no space whatsoever, I think that prevents some of the bonding and belonging that can exist between really engaged employees. And so... We are trying to think of physical space very differently. And I had a very failed experiment we tried during pandemic, which did not work. And now we're trying something new. So I think my wand is to really think about the role that physical space has, because I do think there is a role for it to play, but not in the way that I think historically I was thinking about office space engagement.
0: That's great. So Mark, just for the audience's perspective, your company is about 70, 80 people right now, correct? Yep. And you are remote first.
1: We changed over the last four years. We were remote accepting, I think, where we had like one or two people who were remote. To then we started going into a little bit of hybrid. When that went into pandemic, we went to remote first. And as of next month, we'll be remote only. And so I'm happy to explain the difference along the way. But I think we are giving up any dedicated office space we have at the end of June of 22.
0: Got it. Okay. And you're headquartered. Currently in the Chicago area in the U.S., but you do have a, a team that's distributed really globally right now.
1: Yeah, so we used to joke that we had the best smelling office in all of Chicago. We had a kitchen, we had a, a private chef, we had you know, all the ovens and ductwork of a commercial grade kitchen. We cook every day. The whole office smelled great. Clients would just spontaneously show up at eleven thirty. I wonder why to see what's going on that day. So it really was a phenomenal, but very hyper-optimized for the Chicago experience. And as we started hiring more outside of Chicago, people started working from home, people started being more remote. That started showing its age, and it really started becoming this incredible Chicago experience that really didn't translate. So everyone mm-hmm. else who's not Chicago had this like secondary experience. During pandemic, we initially tried to recreate that. So our chef, we created like a food truck, we deliver food to everybody. we were really trying to hold on to aspects of that. And we thought about just the equity part of, you know, you can't deliver food if you're a Chicago-based company to our new colleagues in Scotland, in Canada, in Texas, in Colorado. Like It it started showing its age. So the experiment that we tried, which failed, was to think about ways we could provide space for all those people we hired. So the people in Calgary, Nashville, Edinburgh, Denver, New York, we set up a a, a one-year experiment with WeWork, figuring all of those places have WeWorks. Chicago doesn't as well. So we wound down the dedicated space we had and spun up an experiment with dedicated office spaces through WeWork, figuring all these places have an office to go to. You can use it if you'd like. And just never saw the engagement, never saw that return to the office as a regular, as like a permanent thing, even though they were in each other's you know, neighborhoods and things. We found that space started becoming required for a very specific purpose but not the general. So meeting space, yes. Facilitation space, yes. But dedicated office space just wasn't a thing that people needed anymore. And so we're giving up that one-year experiment ends in June. And rather than renewing with that, what we're going to do is create a different kind of structure where rather than paying rent every month for this dedicated space in these different cities, we're going to have budget for space as and where we need it. In some cases, that'll be for what we're called a co-working week, we'll fly everyone in and have like a spin-up space for a week. There will be a retreat that we do where we bring everyone together in the company to not work, but just to spend time together. And then I appreciate you had FRESH as an acronym. We're thinking about this idea of a home office day where HOME is an acronym for hang out and meet experiments. We might spin up something just for a day, use that space for the day, and then spin it back down again. So no dedicated space, but we'll kind of rent space in a city it's either near a client or near a team for a very particular purpose, for a very particular use of time, and then spin it back down again. And for the vast majority of the day-to-day experience, be fully remote.
0: It is refreshing to hear how you have tested and learned and likely will continue to test and learn because that is what gets us to better solutions and outcomes and You know, one of the things that I think is a reality in this future of work that we are in experiencing and will continue to experience is that the needs are going to continue to shift and evolve as technologies change, as people change. So it's great to hear about your test and learn mentality in general and and arriving at something that's going to work for this next phase for you.
1: I think that's the way you have to do it is to really lean in and experiment. There were, I mean, even going to remote first before we went to remote only, where we still had space, had to totally rethink the tools we used for active listening, for documentation, for transparency, for knowledge management. Like so many of our tools and processes broke when we left that dedicated space in Chicago um, that there is probably, goodness, a couple hundred thousands of dollars of investments made into changing of tooling and process to make that work. And now that we think about going from remote first to remote only and losing a dedicated space entirely, there's, again, new ways of adapting and evolving the ways we engage. I think you really have to be trying to be experimental and innovate around how that works because it's different you know, than it maybe what we had five years ago.
0: Yeah. So as far as fresh takes go, so freedom, resourcefulness, empathy, simplicity, and happiness, Which area do you see as really the most pressing right now as we think about the future of work and the evolving employer-employee dynamic?
1: I think, you know, how you can interpret each of those words differently. I see freedom as being, there's an element of autonomy that you have, whether that's where you work, when you work, or the kinds of things you're doing that will allow you to grow and be promoted. And so I think for that one, I think I would say freedom is, to me, the most interesting moment in this moment in time. I mean, there's the obvious of, I want to work from wherever. There's that element of freedom. But I look at this as, how as an employer do you provide opportunities for people to grow in their organization? And how do you provide flexibilities that there are different ways to recognize value within the company? Typically, especially for development companies, you would look at, or say technology companies, you might say, whoever writes the best code are the ones who then get promoted the the fastest to go from senior to lead to principal engineer. As we've been thinking about this, there are so many other things that we think are required for good culture and good teams that historically are not compensated for, not recognized, not considered valuable. How you mentor, how you grow people. There's always that person that's like the glue that brings a team together that helps with conflict resolution, that does a lot of the emotional labor. And when those things are not recognized, they tend to fall towards typically people who have a lot less historical privileges. And when they're not compensated for, you're asking people to do all this emotional work without making it part of their own job responsibility or path towards promotion. And so for us, when I think about autonomy in one's career and the freedom to explore different aspects of their progression, if you can find a way to recognize those kinds of things and say, yes, you can be an incredibly solid technologist Or you can also become a good manager or a good mentor, or you can get involved in helping your team through experimentation, conflict resolution, workshop facilitation. There's other ways we see you providing value. If you can give people that freedom to explore different aspects of their own career, then there will be a lot more autonomy they have on their own growth. And If they are all valuable in terms of ability to get compensated, ability to be promoted, now they've got the freedom to choose where they want to take their career. So freedom for me is the obvious option of where I want to work and the hours I want to work. I feel like those are table stakes in this day and age, but also giving them more autonomy around growth and then met with the support and the structure to facilitate that growth. That's when you really get the right level of freedom and autonomy that they need to drive real engagement
0: incredibly well said and i think you're right that it's all of it it absolutely is that freedom to be your best and what is your best and how are you going to get there and and i love that you're bringing recognition into that too because sometimes that piece can get forgotten but i think it is incredibly important to recognize different types of work at different types of value to organizations and therefore You have to, as an organization, be clear on what those value drivers are and where those different strengths play best, because you might have the best technologist, but that doesn't mean they're going to be the best lead or principal or executive within the firm.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people will think, you know, who is driving revenue or who is writing code? And... All of those are obviously very important, but you think about the teams that are the best, the ones that are the most resilient, the cultures that are the strongest, there's a lot more than that that's at play. And I think a big change we've made in the last few years is to be much more equitable in our promotion process by writing all those things down and recognizing the other ways people can contribute and then giving people that flexible model to say, actually, I really want to become a better manager. I really want to get better at facilitation or I want to run some of our internal discussions around diversity, equity, inclusion, all of which carry value the same way that driving revenue or driving technology trends bring value. I think having that freedom to explore that aspect of your own career growth is probably the most important thing you can do to improve employee engagement more than flexibility in where you work or the hours you work. I think that personal autonomy over your career direction is incredibly important.
0: So good segue into the next question around leaders. So how can managers help employees, help team members navigate in in whatever the new normal looks like for them? But like, what, what advice would you have for people that are leading right now?
1: When we did a lot of our work in our diversity, equity, inclusion, we thought a lot about this as far as it relates to equity. And I think the one phrase that really, governed our thought process more than any other was take things that are very implicit and make them explicit ridiculously so if you can and so if you think about why is one person considered a senior developer and one person considered a lead why is one person a principal like what what is it that they do that allows them to be promoted i think without being super explicit about that There are some people that are much more comfortable because they come from a place of privilege to say, like, hey, I think I'm ready for the promotion now, or I want to raise now. And if you can be very explicit around these are the models and the opportunities for growth, these are the observable behaviors we're looking for, and this is what growth looks like, if you can provide that as as a, and it's difficult to do, but write it down in a way that is clear, but also provides autonomy around choice of where you want to spend and how you want to grow, that's the magic sauce, I think. But as a manager, that's what you're looking for is something that everyone has the same understanding of what growth means and the same opportunity to be able to achieve that. And then that flexible structure that allows them to kind of meet them where they are, what they're most excited about in their own personal career. For us, when we first wrote this down, it was with all of the right intentions, but man, did we get it wrong? We had to literally, we had to throw it all out. But initially, the whole goal was to try to be very explicit. So we wrote down the things. And when we did it, It looked a lot like a ladder. So, if you were a developer, you either had to become the the head developer, the chief technology officer, or you had to become a salesperson and drive revenue. That's as you laddered up, those were the things that were left. And it didn't really provide any flexible autonomy. Anything we just talked about, it's like these were the growth paths you had. In the last two years, as we really thought about this question around how do we support people where they are and how do we provide equitable access to growth, we had to throw out everything we did and totally redraw our we had called as a career grid, where there's one axis of growth is on your personal core skills, like as a developer, but the other axis is around influence and how you influence your teammates, how you influence our own company culture, how you influence your clients, and demonstrating that influence is as important as core skills, that people can move around the grid and try different areas of growth. I think the most important thing managers can do is make that growth and promotion logic just extremely explicit, but do it in a way that allows for autonomy of choice, as opposed to, yep, you either become partner or you're out. Like that's not the right way to signal flexibility. And as we said earlier, this intentional, flexible, personal approach requires people to have autonomy.
0: So interesting. So I'm curious after hearing your perspectives today about your answer to this final question, what is one company you admire for their fresh take?
1: So I learned a lot from, I spent a decade there myself, was a company called ThoughtWorks. They have shaped a lot in the industry around employee experiences, frequently recognized as destination employer in terms of how they do work and how they grow people, the culture of that company. But the thing I like about them, and something I will try to you know build into my own company culture, is when they have really good content, they publish it and allow others to understand there's not a lot of you know, secret sauce of this is ours and ours alone. So they have what's called a radar they publish that talks about where they see the trends in the technology space and tooling and platforms and approaches that they see are things that are evolving that aren't quite ready for real versus others that are like, these have been tried and tested, people can adopt them, and others that you should deprecate and kind of get rid of. I love that ThoughtWorks does that and doesn't just sell it to their clients. They make it available to anybody, say, so like, this is our view on things. That same, I think, dedication towards experimentation innovation in a public way is what for us drove the sticky note game to get published or the inclusion cards to get published. When we come up with an idea we think could benefit the industry, we give it openly to the industry. And I learned that from ThoughtWorks.
0: Super cool. I'm going to have to check them out. Thanks for sharing about ThoughtWorks today. Mark, if people are interested in getting in touch with you, what's the best way to find you?
1: I'm pretty active on LinkedIn talking about employee experience, you know, changes, innovations we're trying. Clearly, there's our site, txidigital.com, learn a lot about the culture and tools and process of our company. And then for those eager few who are excited to do 40,000 steps a day, there is the idea of going on a walkshop. that you can go to walkshop.io and learn more about what that process and approach looks like. Happy to talk about anything as it relates to future of work and changing nature of the employer or employee agreement and what engagement experiences look like those are things I get very excited about.
0: Wonderful. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll make sure that all that information gets dropped into the show notes as well, but really appreciate all your perspectives today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you everyone else for listening in and don't forget to stay fresh.